Before we begin today, I want to give a quick shout out to one of my Twitter followers. Her name is Marion. She is a huge Star Wars and Marvel fan. Her story is really inspiring, and I know she'll be listening. So from me to you, Miriam, just keep being real, girl. Go check her out on Twitter at Miriam Skywalker. Now, on to the show. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to H&E, or Hollywood North Entertainment. This is our inaugural podcast. Um, my name is... David Steele. And I'm uh, Alex Camplin. And I'm Ariana Somerville. And so this is going to be our inaugural podcast, and you'll be hearing us once a week. Uh, we are going to be talking about everything entertainment, from movies to television to music to everything in between. So let's, I'll start out. Um, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. And I fell in love with movies when I was probably 20 years old. I saw a lot of older movies, um, such as The Godfather, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Deer Hunter, and that really endeared me to see other movies many years down the road. And so I've done this once before, but I couldn't do it all. So I needed a couple of fantastic co-hosts to uh, help me out this time. And I found it. So... Alex, why don't, why don't you tell us about yourself? Of course. Um, so I am a California native and music, and movies, TV shows is basically the language of my family. Uh, it's all over the place. I am an engineer, but really I am also an actress, a writer, aspiring director, and also a singer. So any types of topics, anything behind the scenes, captivates me. Nice. And Ariana, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, my name is Ariana Somerville. Um, I was originally born in Michigan and I moved to California like over a year ago. Um, I am an aspiring actress myself, so I've been watching more movies as I've been just trying to learn more of how to act and how acting is done and how movies work. So nice. I found this podcast and I thought I would be a part of it. Outstanding. So here's how the show is going to be structured. We're going to have uh, what's known as off the tops, which are basically happenings that are, you know, trailer dropping or recent happenings that are going on. We're then going to dive right into our main topics. And we'll usually have three or four of those. And then each one of the young ladies are going to have their own uh, segment and they're going to be able to talk about whatever they would like to talk about. And we can all discuss that together. Finally, we're going to preview the upcoming week, um, whether it's movies or trailers that drop. And we're both going to, we're all going to give you recommendations of some sort. And uh, eventually down the road, you'll be getting a chance to, you know, have a couple of uh, prizes maybe. Uh, for giveaways and promotions. All right. So the first thing uh, right off the top is, um, so out of who is a Harry Potter fan here? I am 100% a Harry Potter fan. I think we all are. Yeah, I I think we all are too. Um, So tell me, did you guys get a chance to watch the new Fantastic Beasts trailer? Okay, Alex? Yes, I I snuck onto YouTube early today and checked it out. Nice. And what were your thoughts? 
So I will say I'm kind of not that familiar with the Fantastic Beasts franchise. God, Marvel is taking me away, but I am super curious. I've always liked the Dumbledore and Grindelwald's conversation. Um, Want to know more about it. I'm very curious about how Mads Mikkelsen is going to be in this. Yeah. Very excited to see Hannibal. Um, that's kind of like the initial reaction that I got from that. Yeah. So Mickelson is one of those actors that is, well, he's under the radar, but he's in a lot of stuff. And you say, oh, I didn't know he was in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Han- you were just talking about Hannibal, which has had a great run on television yeah. for the past five years. Um, yeah. And I, he seems to kind of be in a Hannibal-esque role in this. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does different. So that was really the, we usually have two or three of them, but that was really like the, well, the other off the top, I think would have to be the Morbius trailer. Um, the Morbius trailer is a brand new one. It comes out in the beginning of next month, first week of April. Um, Jared Leto is going to be playing the, I guess you'd call him Annie hero of Michael Morbius. Um, how much do you guys know about the comic book lore? Hardly anything for me. Yeah. So Morbius really isn't that um, popular. Uh, unfortunately, he's, you know, one of those villains. So Michael Morbius was a doctor that had a disease and he tried to go f- to a, another country to find a cure and he got bit by a vampire bat. And so in this, in this movie here, we're going to see the transformation of Michael Morbius from man to vampire. Um, and usually there's like three or four different kinds of conflicts when you're talking about film. Um, you've got man versus man, you've got man versus nature, man versus himself, and man versus an external thing like aliens or, or whatnot. I think you're going to see this um, be more of a man versus man or man versus himself type of uh, thing because he is struggling with not only finding a cure for his own disease, but he wants, he's turning into something that he doesn't want to be t- turning into and he wants to help others. And that's the struggle that he's going to have to deal with. And who knows, you know, this is going to be part of the Marvel universe. I mean, we've seen little Spider-Man Easter eggs in, in some of the trailers. Um, you have a, a Michael Keaton, He's coming back as we, as we think the vulture. Yeah, Batman and another Batman. Yeah, so that's that's going to be an interesting dynamic to say the least. I mean, who knows? We could even maybe see a Tom Hardy. I mean, now that they're you know crossing over and doing all this stuff. So um, let's jump right into the main topics. And the first main topic was the big award show last night. So as you being fellow actresses, you know that the SAG Awards were last night, Screen Actors Guild. Did either of you have a chance to watch them? I know it was a busy night for both of you. Yeah, no, I missed it. I was in the theater instead. So the big, so there were a couple of big awards. The biggest award, I think, really were the acting awards. It, it was a little all over the place. Um, Will Smith took home Best Male Actor for King Richard, which... I, that was such a tough category because it was out of the five. I mean, you had 
Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. You had Javier Bardem for being Ricardo's. You had, you know, Denzel Washington for the tragedy and big death. Any one I did of catch a few videos on YouTube of the SAG Awards, but I didn't watch the SAG Awards itself. Best Actress. Just went to Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye. I was so happy she won for that. So the SAG not only covers movies, but it covers television. Um, the actor and actress from Squid Game. Um, so there were a lot of different uh, different awards. Helen Mirren was, was nice to see Helen Mirren actually get the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, she's been in the business, you know, 30, 35 years. So it was nice to see her wrecking. I mean, she's a for, former Academy Award winner. So it was nice to see her recognized. Moving on, uh, the, so there was, there's been a movie that's been in development limbo, if you will, or development hell for the past 10 years. And it was uh, Harrison Ford reprising his role in his Indiana Jones. Gary Marshall actually tweeted out a little um, uh, hat that said Indy. And he said that production had finally wrapped. Would you guys want to go see another Indiana Jones that came out? Considering how badly the last one did. I mean, I've always been a fan of Indiana Jones. Like, as much as maybe a diehard fan. So just the fact that the like the past few haven't been that great, I would still go and see it just because I love Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. They're going to get me at the theater, regardless of if it's a good movie or not. Yeah. Just to see what happens. Yeah. I, I think that this is... So uh, James Mangold is a fantastic director, and he's actually taking the, the, the reins here. Um, the same guy who did Ford versus Ferrari, um, Logan, and he's done, you know, several other good films. So this was the first time Spielberg has not directed. I think, I think it's good. If the story is good enough, and for me, I'm all about story. It doesn't matter how old Harrison Ford is. I mean, you could be 90, uh, you know, walking around with a cane. <laughs> so, uh, it, but the story has to be there. And I think what you were talking about, about how the, the last two were kind of lacking, Crystal Skull and, and Last Crusade, they just, they were all right. And I think when you have a movie that is, like Last Crusade came out in 1999, Crystal Skull came out in like 2007. Mm-hmm. So when you have a 15 year window like that, people go, oh, really? Yeah, but with New Blood, I actually think that having Stephen not be the director might be a good way to make it more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, Steven Spielberg, look, he's obviously a very good person. He's got a lot of projects on his slate. He just finished, finished, you know, West Side Story this last year and was critically acclaimed and everything else. I'll be very curious to see what kind of twist or kind of thing they do with it i mean and who the villains i mean it's because the antagonist we all we all know who the protagonist but who is going to be the antagonist i mean for the you know three or four movies you've always had the nazis well you know okay that's fine but how are they going to spin this i wouldn't mind seeing like a sci-fi type of twist indiana jones like they tried that in the last movie and i was just about to say yeah, it didn't with the aliens, out. the crystal skulls and the aliens, and like all that different stuff, they did try that. Okay, well, yeah, and like with the cast, like I'm, I'm looking at it right now. You have Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen again. 
mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas. Like, I have no idea where they're going with any of this. Well, right there, I mean, I think you have a stellar cast. I mean, if you just take those three people and, and you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a great cast, but you can go so many ways with it. Um, a lot of different stars. I don't know how they're going to focus. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, I think that will be a very interesting thing. So that actually drops next summer, actually, right right around July 4th. So, I mean, they're still 18 months out. So it's going to be, it will be interesting to see. It'll be interesting how they promote it, too. I mean, I wouldn't be, you know, I think, in, what would you guys think if it was just called Indie? Or would you rather, I mean, all of, besides Raiders of the Lost Ark, all of the other films have either been Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. What would you think about just indie? Would you like that? I mean, they've tried that with so many other movies, and it's kind of flopped, if I'm honest. Because mm-hmm. there's a, you, you have, like, and I love Marvel. I love DC. I, like, I love all of these, like, comic book, like, type of movies. But you got to admit, the last few have kind of, They've been all right, but not amazing, like they have been in the past. Like if you look at Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, for instance, I don't know what your opinion on it was. I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Star Wars movies, Star mm-hmm. Wars, you know, yeah. no matter which Star Wars you're thinking of. And then they came out with, they're coming out with um, Kenobi. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that's going to be. So I'm I- interested I have high hopes for Kenobi just because I think it's being made by fans and UN is going to want it to be perfect because of his attitude. But I I do kind of agree with you. The only ones that I really have liked is the ones that break the mold, like Logan. Mm -hmm. I thought Logan was great. Logan had had that emotional um, twist to it that, Mm -hmm. I mean, we all... I mean, I'm not a big comic book guy per se, but I did know of the Old Man Logan comic and whatever. And that whole thing about I thought the I thought the girl who was in there, I don't know her name off the top of my head. I thought she was amazing. I mean, just how she was able to act without saying a word. Yeah, she's she was also in like a TV show as well. Daffy Keen. So but I think I understand what you're saying, Ariana, is the fact that the name recognition of Indiana Jones. Everybody knows who Indiana Jones is. But they, when you say indie, well, you talk about the car race, you talk about the, the you know the football team. So if you have Indiana Jones, they go, oh okay, we, we know who that is. And I think I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be oppressed to just have, have it say Indiana Jones. So I mean, but that will be that will be interesting to see um how they all do that. So moving on, as we all know starting tomorrow night but coming out this friday is the batman probably one of the biggest movies if not the biggest movie of the year we're seeing that in march so colin farrow is going to be playing one of the villains of the penguin and so first of all how do you think he's going to do i mean we know what he is as an actor but how do you think he can actually do with this kind of uh role i like colin farrell I don't know how well he would do with the penguin, just knowing, you know, penguins in the past and knowing Colin Farrell's work in the past. But although it's the same with Robert Pattinson, you know, I've seen things that Robert Pattinson has been in. And so I'm just like, how is Robert Pattinson going to be as the Batman? Because we've seen him in not the best of roles. 
And then somehow he lands Batman. I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying he has some high chops to. So I'm just saying like, how would Colin really, would he have the chops to be the penguin is what I'm saying. We'll find out. So the reason I bring that up is because they're actually making a penguin series. So it's going to be interesting to see in this movie if he's a minor villain and how much they explore of his origin, or is he going to become more of a major player? Because it is a three-hour film. And how they do that is going to be, you know, how much do they leave out and they want it? Because this is going to HBO Max, which is going to give them a little more liberty to to do some things they probably wouldn't be able to do. That's probably at least a year or two down the road. But I think with the success of this movie right now, everything is out there. And from what reviews I'm reading and everything else, this is going to be a very dark, gritty crime boss, like a Tony Soprano type of thing. That will be interesting. And so leading into the Batman. So the reviews are out today. So the embargo finally lifted 24 hours before the very first. Now the press have seen it. So they're able to obviously give their opinions and thoughts. But what do you think about the embargo for all those people that don't know? There's a few different types of embargoes. You have your social media embargo, which is they, the press is only allowed to put out one tweet of 125 characters and give their first impressions, which usually are great. Then you have your written embargoes, your reviews, your varieties, your THRs, your deadlines, and then they will actually imprint give out their full spoiler review of what they liked, what they didn't like, who is good, who is bad, music, the whole nine yards. Usually, and I say usually, but because there have been some exceptions, usually the um, when an embargo is lifted 24 to 72 hours before a film, it's not a good thing because the press is like, well, why is this so? Because they want to try and get as much promotional stuff as they can. So the embargo lifted today and all the reviews are out. So what do you think about, would that make you nervous that you couldn't actually see any reviews of a movie before it came out like 24 hours before? Actually, I would prefer that because then I would go in there with a fresh sight, if that makes sense, of the movie instead of just reading a review and then taking what they say as gospel. Because I know a lot of people will read a review of something and be like, okay, well, it's really good or it's really bad. And they just think, you know, they just think, they'll just say, okay, I agree with this person without even checking their facts. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I tend to actually avoid reviews as much as I can until like well after I've seen the movie, discuss it with my friends. Um, except for maybe a couple of um, reporters or reviewers or podcasts that I trust and I can decipher, do I actually agree with your opinion? Are you just having a bad day? Do you really agree with it? And it does, I do think that reviews can really hurt a movie. Um, if Ebert doesn't like it, all of a sudden no one will go see it, even if it has other qualities or it just, it doesn't know how to find its audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So too many early reviews without allowing like like look at Rotten Tomatoes you'll have a lot where the reviewers think oh this is terrible but it's loved by fans because it hits something special I it does a disservice I think. well and the first one that comes to my mind right off the top of my head is Dawn of Justice that movie was that was a fan-made movie I mean but all of the critics thought it was terrible and so they don't I mean, understand it yeah, so 
it's one of those things where they don't want to upset the fan base, but it's at the same time, they have to put their stamp on what they thought of it. And I mean, I was talking with Ariana the other night about this. This Dawn of Justice and Justice League should have been billion dollar films out the door just because of their name. I mean, just because of the whole, you know, I mean, I still remember the, the clip at Comic-Con, you know, when he's standing there, he's like, well, do you bleed? I mean, they're taking it right out of the comics. It should have been a billion dollar film. It wasn't. And, and there were a lot of problems and I get it. But, and so justice, and that's why, you know, the second Justice League, I mean, you might have a problem with that too, but that movie got scrapped. So I don't know. So it'll be interesting. So this leads into the, the preview. So you were obviously both very excited to go see this. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think that the three-hour running time of this is going to hurt it or help it? I know amongst my like small circle of nerdy friends, we've all talked about the fatigue of super long movies, and it's just, it's an event. It's really hard to justify going and seeing something that long. I think nowadays, it's just because everything is that long. What about you, Ariana? I love longer movies. It's just the problem of the fact I love it and I hate it because like I love longer movies because of the different like story you can get deeper into it. There's more detail, um, that kind of thing. And then I hate it because I'll forget to use the restroom beforehand. And then I, of course, there's always that extra scene after the credits. So I'm sitting like, so, so I love it and I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think when you have a movie or a franchise like a Marvel, um, I mean, nobody thought that Endgame or Infinity War was going to drag because they knew what the whole plot was going to be. They knew how it was going to happen. And those three hours just flew by. And it ended, like Infinity War ended at the point of no return when you have like the bad guy won and you're leaving it totally on a cliffhanger. And I think when you do that, people are going to want to come back and say, okay, well, we have to see the second half. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that itself was, I mean, that just goes to everything, the writing and, and everything else. So, yeah, know. I think it depends on the writing. I, I know that there's some movies, though, I've experienced, and unfortunately, a lot of DC ones too, where there's multiple endings. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, the movie's done. Nope, we still have another hour. Okay, now the movie's done. And that can get exhausting. Yeah. Infinity War and everything, like, there is an entire story. There's maybe parts where it could have ended, but it, I was pulling me along the whole time. But if I if there's multiple places where it could be broken up into two movies, it's hard to sit there the whole time, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I think pacing is, is extremely important because if you're not having good pacing of a three-hour movie, that's a long movie. And those two movies, I mean, you, you know, you could take a look at franchises like a Harry Potter, which we were talking about earlier, with Deathly Hollows Part 1 and Deathly Hollows Part 2, and they left it in an okay place. You can also take a look at something like The Hunger Games with Mockingjay Part 1 and Mockingjay Part 2, and it was terribly done. And so when you leave it in the wrong place, you go, really? And so, like, the first 20 minutes of Mocking, of the second part of Mockingjay, they could have actually had um, Peter come back, you know, have been captured, but they didn't have to leave them in that state. And they could have resolved that whole thing and then begin the next one. And that's where, you know, 
what you were saying, if infinity, I mean, in three hours just didn't seem that. Now, we're not going to get an origin story here, which is finally, this is a completely different take on Batman. This is a year or two back. This is him still understanding and developing and honing his skills and a more vicious Batman. And so it's going to be great. Yes. Yeah, so, I think I think the last time we talked about this, I said I don't need to see the Waynes get shot in the alley after the no, theater I, again. Yeah, and, and I think I mean you want to talk about overkill. I mean that that's the that's the perennial thing. Everybody knows the backstory. Everybody, and so they just want the meat and potatoes here. And I think we're finally getting the meat and potatoes right in the first twenty five or thirty minutes. Everything's being set up. And there are a couple of different things that are incredibly important here. Number one, I think the tone of the movie. This is a dark, I mean, I was actually um, looking at something. Um, so I went on uh, Variety today. And so this was the first, I'm just going to read the first paragraph. And it doesn't give any spoilers to anybody. But I just want you to listen to what this person had to say about this tone. He said, when do you go at, where do you go after the dark night? Ben Affleck blew it. I mean, this is subjective. So, you know, this is what he, they thought. And even Christopher Nolan, who brought unprecedented, unprecedented levels of realism and gravitas to, the, to that franchise, best Batman saga, couldn't improve on what he created in the 2012 sequel. So what is Cloverfield direct Matt Reeves strategy? Answer, go darker than the dark night, deadlier than no time to die and longer than doom with a serious-minded Batman standalone film of his own. Leaning into those elements doesn't automatically mean audiences will embrace Reeves' vision, but this grounded, frequently brutal, and nearly three-hour film noir registers among the best, even if, or more aptly, because of what the film is so great in its willingness to dismantle and interrogate the, the very concept of superheroes. So it sounds to me like what Reeves is doing is he's showing you he's a very raw person, a torn down, beaten Batman, even with not a, even with the villains who they are. And then he's going to build them back up. And when he builds them back up, now you have the Riddler coming into play. And now he has to save the city from this madman. And so he's got to go toe to toe with this guy. And how he does that, I mean, you know, we'll see. But it's it's one of those things where and there are a lot of parallels from what I've read and heard. There are a lot of parallels between this and Seven and Zodiac. And if it's darker than the Dark Knight, and, you know, it, it's going to be a very fat, because don't forget, it's not only the man we're talking about, but the city also plays a role in it. The music also plays a role in it. The, you know, supporting cast, Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. And, and all these other people as like James Gordon, they all are supporting players. And how that works, that will be the most interesting thing to see. So, um, so, and I don't usually like going on the business side of it. So if you had to put a number for opening weekend with all the hoopla and all the reviews that are coming out and everything else, how much do you think this is going to make opening weekend? Ariana? It's hard to say. Because, of course, that people have their opinions on the actors that are in the movies. They're probably like, oh, you know, well, it's just another Robert Pattinson film or whatever. So I, it might make its money back. It might not make its money back on opening weekend. But I would say maybe okay. 
Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact number. I don't think it's going to perform as well as everyone else just historically. Um, but I do know a lot of people that want to go. And I actually know a lot of people that love and respect Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm. um, given his very odd career that he has embarked on um, as after he escaped Twilight. So I think it's going to do better than most DC movies have recently, but it's not going to do nearly as well as like the Marvel movies yeah. tend to do. I think that there are a couple of detractors here that really people aren't thinking about. So I, I'm going to, so the fans are in certain cities. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm going to be going to see this tomorrow night. So the fact is that I think a lot of people are like, the anticipation is just chomping at the bit. They want to go see it. They're going to go see it. And then they go to see it. The couple of things that are it's going to work against this movie, as I said before, the length, three hours is just way too long. But moreover than that, if this movie isn't what they expect or they hope, um, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a major drop in Thursday's numbers and even the weekend numbers. Because before this was, I mean, this was tracking for 125 or 150 million. Now it's tracking for somewhere around 85 or 90. If those people that go to see it on Tuesday say, hey, that's an all right movie. They don't want to go to see it on weekend. That's going to kill repeat business. I mean, all you got to do is take a look at something like Spider-Man No Way Home that came out in December. And this won the box office six consecutive weeks in a row. I mean, the fact is, yes, it made $250 million and it made $120 million in the second weekend. But that movie, and it also had the luxury of not having anything around it, but that movie, I mean, screen beat it for what? One weekend. But after that, it just kept going and, and it was repeat business. Yeah, but I mean, that was kind of a lightning and a bottle pit situation. Like I know people that bought tickets for other people just to go see that movie. I don't. Yeah. I think it's really hard to compare anything to the recent Spider-Man movie. Uh, no, and and I would agree with that because that movie did not have the same predictions. Were somewhere around one twenty-five, one fifty. Nobody thought it was going to do two twenty ever. I mean, that's the third largest of all time behind you know Endgame and Infinity War, and even beat Infinity. And it's like, okay, so when you have that, and the problem when you have that sort of thing is that usually a film will drop off anywhere between 40 to 50% from opening weekend to the second weekend. And when you have so much money made in this first weekend, that second weekend is going to drop like a rock. And the thing being is that once it goes down, maybe a 25% or 30 to 30% of the money domestically is made and then it's out and then all you're hoping for is repeat business after that now it's very close to crossing which i can't even believe i'm going to say this the 800 million dollar mark domestically and that's without china china is the number one um foreign film market in the world it that could have been if that had been in you're talking about a 1.4 1.5 billion movie um and shang shang chi i mean which you know Marvel, it made 90, 95 million its opening weekend. That movie made $400 million domestically because people went back to see it. And I, I would agree with you, Alex, to the simple fact of the buzz around that movie was so much that people are just, but I think the repeat business is really what's going to help this movie because it's, a two, it's over a $200 million budget. And if they, if Warner Brothers does not make 50 to 60 to 70% of this money of the money back in this first weekend, 
it's in trouble. And they're already talking about a sequel. And if this doesn't do well here, you know, I mean, there's a lot of questions down the road. Would they scrap the sequel? I mean, do you go back to square one? What do you do? So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think this is going to be the biggest movie, one of the biggest movies of the year. I mean, Morbius comes out next month. It's not even going to touch it. Um, I mean, Doctor Strange comes out at the beginning of May, which I think for all those people that have watched WandaVision, I mean, I have to catch up on that, but or go back and rewatch it. It's one of those things where that, because he was so popular in No Way Home, everybody's going to want to go see him in in, um, in Multiverse of Madness. And yeah, then, and that's going to be a lot more lighthearted than this yeah. Batman movie. So, but with, I don't know, the pandemic numbers coming down, people might just be itching to get to the theater. Yeah, and I think that's what I think, and you bring up another good point, is I think a lot of people, there were over 50 or 55% of the people their first movie going back was Spider-Man No Way Home. And so I think that drove the box office as well. So the other big pop I think everybody's waiting for, I mean, I don't think it's going to be any good, and we can talk about it later on further down the road, is uh, Top Gun. I mean, this is a movie that's everybody. This movie's been in the work for 30 years. I mean, we talk about this, you know, this other movie, this Indiana Jones movie being 10 years, this has been 20 to 30 years in the works because they can't get a hold of Tom Cruise's stuff, you know, availability or, you know, the director or the screenwriter. And so, but this, that's one of those IPs that people, they want to see a sequel. And unfortunately, when you have sequels that are made that are really bad, you know, it's one of those things, well, why did they make them? But yeah, that's, but that's, so I think this movie here, it's going to be an extremely interesting, um, interesting opening because however this does, whatever this does, it's going to dictate a lot of what goes on down, down the road in the future. Because if this doesn't okay, these do okay numbers, do they, do they scrap the sequel? I mean, you know, so, I mean, I don't think they will. I mean, I think they have a vision just like Nolan did. But so speaking of a sequel, if if I told you guys Mr. Freeze would be in the sequel, what would you say? Would you like that to see him as a villain? Is it going to be Arnold again? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. That would... I will only watch it if Arnold is Mr. Freeze. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, OK, here's a question. If you could have one actor. Play Mr. Freeze. And, and so, like, I know you don't like putting actors to, to roles, and, and that's not really the right thing to do, and it's not fair. But if you had a dream, you could make this movie, and you could put this person as Mr. Freeze, and Keith Patterson, who would you put? Who do you think you'd put as Mr. Freeze? I would still put Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though he's almost 70. I want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger as his 70 year old self be Mr. Freeze. That would actually be a pretty funny movie with Get like Ron Patterson. Who would you pick? I said, like, I, I was going along with the Arnold thing of like, if you get Ron Perlman in there and just like make Hellboy as the old man <laughs> version. Yeah. yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the more campier, Batman and Robin 1997 was one of the more campier Joel Schumacher uh, movies that you just, 
you know, you shake your head at it and go, oh my God, how do they, I, you know, it, but yeah, no, that that's one of those roles that people, I think that would be an interesting role though uh, for a villain because you could actually get to tell the backstory of Mr. Freeze and like you could actually make him a little sympathetic, you know, um, yeah, with that, actually, the first two names, um, partly just because they're now better known and they the prior work, is Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. or um, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, Oscar Isaac, yeah. I mean, that would be, and you could actually make him a younger Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have to be, like, he could make him how his wife just got put in the cryo and everything, and he had just become Mr. Freeze, that actually wouldn't be a bad take if they did that. And he's still angry and and just bitter and going off and doing his own thing. That actually wouldn't be a bad cast, a bad thought. Going up again, and, and you have that demographic too with Oscar Isaac, and he's recognizable from Star Wars. You know, so I mean, you have that name recognition, you have him, you know, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. And it's just one of those things where I think he could actually, he could actually pull it off. And I mean, Patterson's, but every time you bring up Robert Patterson, eight times out of 10, the first thing you think, thank you. The first thing you think of, and he gets typecast. Nope. He's just, he's just that boy in, in, you know, Twilight. And, you know, that's why he stepped out and did movies like The Lighthouse. And he did all these other smaller films to try and get, hey, look, this is who I am. I'm trying to get rid of all this, um, the stigma. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be, this is going to be a fun movie. So let's let's move on real quick. So next week, what um, we like to do is we're going to give you, um, if one of us or both of us go to see it, we're all, you know, we're going to sit down and we're going to dissect the movie and we're going to go, we're going to tell our, what we liked, what we didn't like, how we thought the music was, how it was shot, everything. Because this is really going to be a film that's dissected and really, you know, taken apart piece by piece by piece. Um, let me ask you a quick question. If this movie is as good as everybody says, forget about my numbers for a minute. If this movie is as good as it's advertised. Do you think this movie could even get any, any Academy Award nominations? You, I mean, best best picture nomination? I mean, what do you think? You think it could get Academy Award nominations next year? I think it's a hard, a hard sell. The Academy Awards is such a finicky beast. I do think they're veering more towards art house type films, smaller mm-hmm. ones. I don't think that if in the temperaments, but the academy also just rarely makes sense to me anyway. So I might I don't know how to predict what they decide. Yeah, Ariane, do you think this could actually if this is good as advertised, do you think this could get any Academy Award nominations? Like a maybe a best picture? I mean, I think it has the potential. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's only time will tell. More yeah. people that go to the theater, more people, you know, make reviews about it. And of course, I can't say if it will or won't or won't. Yeah. Yeah. Until I actually see the movie myself. Like anything has the potential to have an award, but then you th- then you go and see it and you're like, no. Yeah. 
So I I have to see it first. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I think, and I think you're right about that because I mean, nobody thought Black Panther, and, and there is precedent for it. I mean, all you do is take a look at Black Panther. Nobody thought that would do what it did, you know, making $200 million in its first weekend and everything else, and then it wins three Academy Awards. It, being nominated for Best Picture, there had never been a comic book movie like, up until that point to get nominated for Best Picture. I mean, The Dark Knight should have 10 years ago. I agree 100%. It should have gotten an award. Um, the thing is that in the whole story behind that is they, up until 2012, there was only five nominees. And when the Dark Knight got snubbed, they went, wait a minute, we got to change this. And the next year and subsequent years after that, they said, okay, we can nominate up to 10. Now, it doesn't mean they would nominate 10, but there's a possibility of it. And now year after year after year, you see seven, eight, nine, ten, not you know things. Who's uh, not uh, nominated for best picture? And to me, ten is just too many. I think if you're going to do it, you got to do it at seven. I mean, because you're going to have your two or three contenders. I mean, for me this year, for example, you have West Side Story up there as a contender. I think you've got Dune up there as a contender, and you know. Uh, there's a couple others, you know, um, ride my car. Okay. It's right. Those are the three contenders. Then you have dark horses. I mean, even though that that could be in either one of those categories, and then you have another dark horse. And then after that, there were just, that's just for a marketing thing. Oh, we've got nominated for best picture, but there's no way that they would have an actual win. So I, it will be interesting to see because if the popularity of this keeps going and going and the acting as as good as the advertised, maybe it doesn't get best picture, but you might see, you know, a Robert Patterson nominated. Maybe you see a, a Danco nominated for best supporting actor. Maybe you see a Colin Farrell nominated for best supporting actor. Yeah, I could see some of the smaller awards potentially going out that. Yeah. And I and I think the other thing too is like we were just talking about the SAGs earlier. It's really going to, you know, and this is so far down the road, but a lot of the other award shows dictate what the Oscars do. I mean, take out the the Golden Globes because that's the HFP, the Hollywood Foreign Press, and that's a whole other thing. But you've got SAGs, the SAG Awards are really the deep, like the 1A, if you will, because they're voted by the actors and actresses. If they do that, then, you know, they'll, they might follow soon. Um, but to, to get, getting back to your point earlier, I still don't understand the Academy. I've been a mo- following movies for 25 years, and they still make decisions to me that I just I shake my head at and go, why would you do that? And I mean, for example, why wouldn't you nominate uh, Lynn, um, who's the director of Tick, Tick, Boom? I can't blank Lynn, Manuel Miranda. Thank you. Why wouldn't you nominate him for Best Director? You nominate Andrew Garfield for Best Actor, but you don't nominate him for Best Picture? I don't understand that. To me, that's like, how do you, for me, about, about, I don't know about you two, but a Best Picture nomination, I've always said two things. A, 
You should have two of the of the five: screenwriter, director, actor, actress. Okay. And the other thing too, it, it encompasses everything: your choreography, your your camera, your hair and makeup, your visual effects, your music, everything. And what, even if it's in post, because that's a part of the movie. I mean, there, there are videos out there where you can actually watch scenes from certain movies that you watch it without the music. And then you watch, I think John Williams was down at the Hollywood Bowl a couple of years ago and uh, Steven Spielberg came up. And so they said, you know, here's the fight scene. With, it was actually episode one with uh, Duel of the Fates. And so they actually did. They said, okay, we're going to put this, watch the scene, it was a four-minute scene, watch the scene, and we're not going to play the music. And then he did it. And it just, it was bland. And then they said, okay, John, do it. And he played it live. And it was exhilarating. Because even if you didn't like episode one, for whatever reason, that, that four-minute sequence and that four-minute music that's what people remember, even 25 years later, Duel of the Fates. And so, but yeah, so everything should encompass that for best picture. I don't know. I mean, it's, you two are right in respect, it's too early to tell. I mean, this, well, the other problem too is that when movies come out, they don't get nominated, they come out too early and people forget about it. And when they forget about them, they go under the radar and then they're never thought of again. So anyways, on that note, um, so next week we're going to come back and we'll talk about that. So, okay, until next week, I'm David Steele. I'm Alex Hamplin. And I'm Mariana Somerville. And this has been Each and Me. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.